Welcome to the latest episode of the uh, Argus Fertilizer Inside Analytics podcast. We are today going to return to the topic of, of ammonia, and in particular, low and zero carbon ammonia. And I'm very glad to have Andrea Valentini join me from Singapore. I'm here in London. Andrea's in Singapore. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, Damon. Hi, everyone. Great to have you back. We did cover uh, green and blue ammonia uh, a little while back, but we're returning to the topic because this there's a, an issue which we often come across during our discussions with customers and um, and and our networks. And so I think it's it, we 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 certainly know there's some uncertainty and some open questions to be answered. So we're going to try and tackle some of those today. We'll see how well we do because there's no clear answers. But we are going to focus in on blue ammonia, as as it's sometimes called, or or um, low carbon ammonia, as opposed to the zero carbon, 100% renewable green ammonia which is which is often the topic of, of news uh, but there's lots of developments going on to do with looking at how to make uh, reduced carbon co2 ammonia um, and it's an interesting topic Andrea because you know it wasn't long ago that um, even say natural gas would have been considered a, a low carbon energy right a lot a lot of the world moved to natural gas for power generation because it's got so much a uh, much much lower CO2 footprint than than coal, and I think you know, a few years ago it was seen as a tra- as a transition product to get us towards uh, towards an ultimate zero carbon end game. Um, and even LNG in shipping is still a, a very viable and popular fuel because it's got lower carbon footprint than than conventional bunker fuel. So blue ammonia is is, is definitely uh, an important topic. Um, but let's talk today about about you know the the opportunities in blue ammonia and some of some of the hurdles, um, and maybe starting from the point of view of uh, investors in the sector because there's there's uh, an incredible amount of investor interest in in the sector. It started with hydrogen, but it's moved quite quickly to ammonia as an energy carrier. Um, you know, how do you see? Uh, the the pros and cons of blue ammonia projects compared to green ammonia projects when you're talking to our to our customers or to potential investors you know wh- how do you see the landscape comparing for these for these very different technology options it is a very interesting topic um and it is increasingly becoming interesting from an investor's point of view because uh, up until a few months ago most of the project activity in terms of planned projects was seem to be focused on on green ammonia um, with large-scale blue ammonia projects lagging behind uh, but we, we now have seen um, a few large projects being announced uh, in, in several regions especially in the Middle East um, and and similarly to to blue hydrogen there is a perception that blue ammonia should play a role uh, at least in terms of being a stepping stone towards uh, a carbon-free uh, product in the future. It is quite a tricky uh, topic, however, because there are, there are several uncertainties regarding how blue ammonia will be perceived um, from a regulatory point of view, um, and and whether the the terminology blue ammonia um, will be relevant in the future. Um, and there are several issues that we can uh, discuss throughout. Uh, this conversation, uh, which will look at uh, the technology, uh, the methodologies used for producing blue ammonia, um, life cycle emissions, for example, uh, and the type of support given to um, this type of production and this product and uh, potential mar- market acceptance. 
Mm. Let's let's start with perhaps one of the easiest one of the easiest conclusions we can reach uh, during this discussion. I would suggest that almost anyone who spends a serious amount of time looking at this at this new market would agree that labels are are a bad idea and 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 we should dismiss them as soon as possible. So uh, would you would you say the same? The sooner we can lose the blue the blue and green labels, the better. Just on in in the sense that they don't particularly help and um, the range of carbon intensity uh, f- you could find from for a blue for a potential blue ammonia product could you know could be enormous. You could you could have a blue ammonia product with anywhere from you know 0.1 tons of CO2 per ton of ammonia through to you know one almost 1.5, and you could potentially still call it blue. So can we agree that's a, that's a, g- a good starting point would be to get scientific about this and look at some um, some some more. Um, precise measure of, of carbon footprint? Yeah, I, th- I think this will be necessary to avoid potential confusion and mislabeling of ammonia as blue rather than a different color. Um, the, the confusion starts right at the beginning from the pr- production point because um, a key advantage of ammonia production is that, um, for example, CO2 in SMR-based ammonia production is quite easy and, and inexpensive to capture. So uh, the process CO2 um, in most ammonia plants represents, let's say, 50 to 70 percent of uh, an ammonia plant's CO2 emissions, and 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 this 50 to 70 percent of CO2 emissions can be easily and cheaply captured. The the trick part is the the flue gas emissions. So flue gas CO2, which becomes very expensive to capture. So the first key point to clarify is whether uh, blue ammonia is meant to be uh, ammonia produced by capturing that 50 to 70 percent of, of CO2 produced as part of the process gas um, or a much higher percentage, let's say over 90 percentage. I, I think to, to make things clearer, we, we need to move towards um, a certification system that uh, measures the level of carbon intensity at the production stage. So how much carbon is actually captured. Um, in terms of technology, this might be solved in the future by adopting, um, rather than SCR, SMR-based ammonia production, uh, ATR, uh, which would allow for um, the ca- capturing over 90% of, of CO2 uh, from the, the process of, of ammonia production. But again, most of the existing ammonia plants are based on steam methane reforming, um, which means that this initial clarification about the percentage of carbon that is actually captured at the production stage will be um, vital to understand the labeling that can be applied to that blue ammonia. Yeah. The second, the second uh, important point to make is about the um, the life cycle emissions of that low carbon ammonia uh, produced. Um, We can talk about several stages of the CCS process that can be potentially problematic. For example, um, one potential area of of risk from a regulatory point of view for potential producers um, is the way that CO2 is is stored. Um, There is the possibility that in the future, uh, CO2 stored for uh, enhanced oil recovery might be treated differently from CO2 stored permanently in depleted oil and gas fields or or other um, 
non-fossil fuel producing solutions. So that is another regulatory uh, risk for, for, for investors in this area. And, and finally, the whole life cycle emissions in terms of downstream uses of that uh, low carbon ammonia will have to be uh, considered as well, because obviously, if we are using that low carbon ammonia for the production of um, plastics, for example, or other chemicals, which might end up releasing uh, CO2 at a later stage in the supply chain, that will be problematic. So effectively, to the production of low low carbon ammonia will need um, a level of certification and verification and a methodology that will give clarity to the whole value chain and supply chain. Yeah, great points. You said you said you said many things there. So just to try and uh, in on a few, I suppose the one the interesting point is to uh, your last point. If we were to use the CO2 captured from ammonia production in, let's say, the production of um, e-methanol, which was then used as a fuel, that's not even a, that, that's not even a viable permanent carbon capture. So there's an an, an easy example of a of, of a non-blue ammonia product which could potentially get that label if there wasn't proper certification. Um, going back to the supply side, let, if, we, if we do think about the supply for a bit longer, um, I think that that point you made about SMR is fascinating because the world's ammonia production is largely based on gas and where it's based on gas, it's almost always based on steam methane reforming. I, f- I find it interesting because that's, you know, in the case of SMR, the, the hydrogen produced comes from the gas feed, but also from from steam, you know, the the, the hydrogen water, um, and that happens to be the most energy and capital effective way of producing ammonia. But it, as you say, in the future, we we probably are moving to a world where uh, ammonia plants might be increasingly based on uh, autothermal reforming, where all the hydrogen comes from the gas. <laughs> Ironically, in this case, given that's a fossil fuel, but that means that the carbon uh, can be captured, almost all the carbon can be captured. Um, and, and uh, you know, th- th- there's a really fascinating technology discussion, which we don't have too much, too much time for. But I, I do agree. I think we'll start seeing and we see we see technology suppliers pushing uh, ATR technology for that, for the advantage where you can capture more than 90, 95 percent of the, of the CO2. Um, where does that leave existing assets? Do you, you know, do you think Conventional ammonia plants, uh, which are able to uh, capture their carbon, will will have a role in the in in in, in low carbon ammonia markets. Existing producers located in areas where um, carbon capture and storage will be feasible and and cost effective will certainly play a role in this. Um, we we are already seeing existing ammonia producers in certain parts of the U.S. being incentivized financially uh, through quite generous tax credit to uh, to sell CO2 for enhanced oil recovery through the 45Q uh, tax credit system. And that and, and that in itself is, is quite a powerful tool because as far as I'm aware, that's the first um, large scale commercial CCS uh, program implemented by, by any government. So that, that is going to be a really interesting Test bed for the production of low carbon ammonia. And am I right in saying there are there are existing ammonia plants already actively capturing and storing carb uh, CO2 in EOR programs in the US? Yes, that's correct. We are counting at least four ammonia plants in in the 
in the US that are that are selling CO2 for enhanced oil recovery and, and therefore getting um, a $35 per ton tax credit for this. That's incredible. That's, that, that really is an early example of, 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 let's say, blue ammonia production, if we if we do use the term low carbon ammonia production. But let's delve into that EOR example, because it's clearly controversial uh, using CO2 to uh, expand or, or, or enhance the, the, the production of, of crude um, is kind of counterintuitive if you're looking to reduce CO2 emissions. How, how do you see how do you see future uh, low carbon blue ammonia production being based on EOR? Do you think it will be um, a major element of, of 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 production? EOR is going to be well, obviously it, it, it's it's the it's the form of carbon storage that is perhaps more, more, most readily available uh, and cost-effective uh, and accessible for many existing ammonia producers that have significant um, production assets in several parts of the world, including the US, uh, Middle East, perhaps Russia. So it, it, it is understandably, it, it is a methodology for carbon storage that is quite attractive for many ammonia producers. And in the short term, especially, uh, it's expected to be very attractive um, to um, to produce low carbon ammonia. The, the problem with EOR is that we 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 might uh, come to a situation, especially in places like like Europe, where um, low carbon ammonia produced by storing CO2 for producing an additional barrel of oil might not guarantee um, certain level of of credits or or certification as low carbon ammonia produced in other cleaner ways or, or more clear cut ways of um, storing CO2. There is, there is in fact a debate about whether EOR has an, a net environmental benefit. Uh, so if EOR as a carbon storage solution can be zero or, or, or negative um, in terms of CO2 emissions. Yeah, we, we you know we we were talking about this a little while back. Uh, if you look at the EOR scheme, the um, the one you mentioned earlier, the 45Q is it in the, in the US? Um, I find it interesting that the the credit you get for an EOR for a ton of EOR uh, CO2 is is uh, you said $35. Whereas if you if you put that more if you sequester that more permanently in a depleted field, you get is it $50? So yeah, there's there's an assumption even built into the US system which 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 shows that the uh, EOR uh, uh, sequestration is not is not as permanent or not the same has the same impact. There's a kind of ratio, um, something like 35 over 50. So you, in in future, you know, you'd have to wonder whether customers would uh, or certification schemes would consider every ton of CO2 put to EOR as, as, a, as a ton of CO2 saved, there might be a ratio potentially of, of you know, two thirds or some, some kind of middle ground. In addition to, in addition to the regulatory aspect of things, so how EOR will be perceived by regulators, uh, I think there will be also um, an end use perception of these practices um, because some, some end users of low carbon or zero carbon ammonia might want to show that they are uh, more focused on the zero carbon side of things rather than um, low carbon product. So they they might end up preferring purchasing green ammonia once it becomes more cost effective. Yeah, let's turn to the customer side because that's 
I think that's going to be the crucial point. And um, certification is going to be the customer champion, I guess, because customers are uh, are not going to have the resources to verify CO2 uh, emissions for p- particular producers. So there's going to need going to need to be um, agencies or companies or groups that verify certification. Who do you think is going to be uh, successful at developing a certification system? Do you think it'll be based? Will there be a, a system per region, say a Japanese system and a you know uh, a European system separately, or do you think there will be uh, a neutral agency of some type that forms and who sets the rules? The the um, the end goal theoretically should be a universally accepted system of certifications because because when when companies will produce blue and green ammonia or low and zero carbon ammonia, this will be a global market. So it, it wouldn't really make sense to it wouldn't make sense to have regional standards and and certification systems. Although inevitably that's how things will get started. Um, in, ter- in terms of how fragmented things could, could become, uh, I think you can look at the uh, at the voluntary carbon markets uh, situation today, where there is essentially, I mean, it's extremely fragmented. There, there is no universally um, accepted methodology and, and verification methodology uh, for for trading uh, voluntary carbon carbon credits. On a global level, it's very much conducted on a, on a bilateral level or, or within uh, specific geographies. So there might be a situation in which uh, trading low carbon ammonia, zero carbon ammonia, will be will follow a similar trajectory. So there will there might be a lot of confusion in the short term. Yeah, I, I guess it might be down to needs uh, and, and urgency from the biggest early buyers. So potentially Japan or the or, or the uh, EU might might need to there might need to be some system that's acceptable for a re, for a group of customers and then that could potentially expand in future i uh, it does seem to be a long way away would you agree there's there's no clarity yet having a well structured market and certified market might be a long way away certainly um, having a market for low carbon ammonia might happen in the short term However, it might be difficult to verify the, the, the environmental credentials of that particular blue ammonia cargo when it's traded in, yeah. in absence of clear regulations and certifications, which which uh, uh, might be controversial. Do you do you see this holding up the investments in blue ammonia projects, or do you see do you see projects progressing fairly quickly? Um, and if so, where where do you think we're going to see the first? or the fastest blue ammonia investments? This is quite interesting because I think what we, we are seeing in the market in terms of project project developments, um, I see two, two or three different categories of projects. Um, there are projects, I'm aware, of, for example, one project, very large project in, in Europe, which in theory, should be the perfect scenario for a blue ammonia production. So it's it's a it's a greenfield ammonia plant which plans to capture most of its CO2 emissions in a in a depleted oil and gas field. So it's quite clear cut in terms of um, its environmental credentials. There are other projects being developed in the Middle East, for example, which have 
a strong strong incentive from from the end use side. So some of these projects might be developed by in partnership with potential end users in Northeast Asia, for example, particularly in, in Japan, where these life cycle carbon emissions of blue ammonia might be less of a concern in the short term. So those projects might be viable purely because their main end users might not scrutinize um, life cycle emissions of blue ammonia so closely. So per- perhaps these are the two the, the two main scenarios that we see. So, so projects that are developed in, in jurisdictions where um, the environmental credentials of low carbon ammonia are going to be uh, scrutinized more closely, such as Europe and, and other projects whereby uh, the end users might not be as um, fussy as, yeah. as Europe. I think that's that, that's, that's, that's two, two really good ways of thinking about it. I mean, yeah, and to, to start with the second category, the you can imagine uh, projects which have um, either stakeholders who are customers or, or um, long-term contracts or, or, or very strong connections with customers from from the outset would have an advantage because they have they know that they have offtake which which um, accepts their you know their low carbon credentials and that that gives you the, the green light to go ahead and invest and and there is an environmental benefit because that's moving from gray to to some lower carbon emission product and it's it, i think that makes entirely good sense as a as, as a transition to to some sort of ultimate uh, net zero point um, and then the first category you mentioned is in jurisdictions where there's more, you know, more uh, structural re- reason to reduce emissions. I, that's a great, that's a great reason. And looking at the commission and its ambitions on reducing um, free allowances for ammonia production in in Europe and introducing carbon carbon border adjustment mechanism, all those all those measures are going to make uh, the reduction of carbon emissions from ammonia in Europe essential. I think almost every plant in ammonia plant in Europe is going to need to look at some um, some way of, of capturing the carbon if they, you know if they carry on in production given the increase in CO2 prices in Europe. A third I'd add a third category just just while we while we brainstorming which is um, th- there are many co- companies that have a corporate goal to reduce their carbon footprint uh, across all their operations and all their business. And um, if you know if you if you're a corporate and you have ammonia production in your portfolio, it's going to be near the top of the list of of your CO2 uh, in terms of your CO2 CO2 emissions. So you, you may just have to look at blue ammonia as one of the one of the uh, one of the only meth- methods of reducing your CO2 footprint as a company. Um, and shareholders are expecting that. So we might see this as a corporate measure, um, even apart from customers. Yeah, I agree. Let's turn to pricing, because how do you price a product that's still lacking definition? How do you think we're going to see blue ammonia priced in the future? Do you think there's going to be some structure relative to grey ammonia and green ammonia? That's an interesting point. Uh, and again, there's not much clarity um especially because when it comes to if you compare low carbon ammonia with zero carbon ammonia or, or green ammonia um th- the green ammonia side is slightly clearer um with regards to pricing if we link it to costs so we, we can see a scenario in which green ammonia price could be linked to the levelized cost of producing green ammonia which is relatively easy to calculate once you have 
a good estimate of, of the levelized cost of electricity and therefore the cost of hydrogen and then the, the end product. When it comes to blue ammonia, the cost factor is trickier to, to look at because it, it, depending on the project configuration, the ammonia producer might not be responsible for the the whole cost of the CCS. So effectively, there are several, or, or there are already several ammonia producers which sell their their CO2 to external parties and therefore get a, a credit actually for for uh, the ammonia they sell um, uh, to to these other companies. So in that case, there wouldn't be a cost justification for an increasing price for the end product for for the ammonia produced by that by that particular producer. Again, in that case, uh, any price premium for blue ammonia or low carbon ammonia will have to be linked to a certification of the carbon intensity or, or the carbon reduction that will result from from producing that one ton of ammonia. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think I agree. Let me let me throw a scenario out here and see see if you agree. Maybe in the future we we'll see zero carbon ammonia, so-called green ammonia, based on long-term contracts um, being supplied to customers who demand zero carbon product, um, and that price might not be initially certainly might not move much. It might be it might be mostly long-term contracted. And then maybe we'll see the intermediate product, the, the low carbon ammonia, trading alongside grey ammonia plus some differential somehow linked to carbon prices in, in mm. certain jurisdictions. Um, and potentially we could see green ammonia trading at some premium because it has better environmental credentials and that's why people are buying it. So maybe we will see depending on the volatility in grey ammonia, but most of the time we might see green ammonia with a premium that it it earns through its its um its green credentials how does that sound as a, a scenario i think inevitably in the longer term it will have to work like that uh, green ammonia should be rewarded rewarded proportionally to its its uh its level of carbon intensity or, or the lack of carbon intensity effectively uh, just just a thought thought experiment um one thing, one, one arbitrage that might keep the, the market honest would be the fact that you could you could potentially, if, if, if blue ammonia was defined scientifically based on its carbon intensity, you, you'd then be in a situation where you could potentially blend blue ammonia, so-called blue ammonia, uh, from grey and green, right? You could, you, could, you could blend any CO2 intensity ammonia you like by using two different two sources of conventional and green ammonia. And therefore... Uh, you, you'd always find a situation where the blue ammonia price would be some blend of grey and green, um, because companies would arbitrage, trading companies would mix products uh, in, either physically or certific with certificates and generate the, the right CO2 intensity blue, and therefore earn any any potential gain if 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 there was some um, gap in the in the pricing. So. My feeling is, based on that thought experiment, blue ammonia will only ever trade up to its CO2 gained, uh, yes, reduced CO2 footprints, but never above. And and I think in, on that basis, green ammonia will probably be a premium product, even in the long term. E even considering its CO2 footprint, zero CO2 footprint. How does that yeah, sound? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good, yeah, uh, it's a good scenario, a good, good, good theory. Um, 
it should work like that effectively because when on when when you trade this product the molecule uh, is going to be exactly the same regardless of how how you produce it so there there has to be effectively a two tier trading system one one for the product itself for the physical product and then another one for the certificate that you yeah. trade when you produce that ton of of ammonia yeah so again, again, I think the conclusion here is that we need to move away from the blue label, yeah. and uh, and and then think how how a certification system can be can be de- effectively developed. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's probably our conclusion, right? It's that the this product will need to move to to a certification system where the the trade of those certificates is the primary tool, and. Um, they might not move in, in parallel with the physical product. That doesn't particularly matter, even though that's quite complicated for customers to understand potentially or or the public. It is the most efficient system. Um, and therefore, we need that certification system in place, but it will come. Inevitably, yes, it, it will have to come. This is it's probably one of the key factors for for this low and zero carbon ammonia market to actually materialize in the future. Mm. If we don't have a, a good system, good certification system and clear regulations, this market will remain limited to um, effectively pilot projects or, or, or a market. Projects. Yes, exactly. A market driven by by uh, companies, uh, CSR in- initiatives, and that will be not enough to justify investments in multi-billion dollar assets. Yeah. Fascinating. I think we're out of time. I see the, the, the clock's reached the, the limit. But um, thanks, Andrea. I, I know that you've been super busy with, with this topic. You've been uh, wrapping up the uh, Green Ammonia Strategy Study. Um, and I just wanted to check, how do we cover so-called blue ammonia in, in our study? Is, is that a topic that you look into? And is it something that um, our listeners could get hold of? We are certainly tracking blue ammonia in, in the strategy report, um, especially from a supply point of view. So we are listing all the projects that are looking at producing blue ammonia, the existing production facilities that already uh, theoretically produce low carbon ammonia through carbon storage, uh, carbon capture and storage, the incentives that are being given to these producers um, and, and, and the potential hurdles to the adoption of blue ammonia versus green ammonia. So we are, we are certainly looking into it. Great. So if if you're interested in understanding more about this topic, then then please do contact your account manager or look on the August Media website to find more about that green ammonia strategy study, which also covers blue ammonia. Um, also, if you if you're tracking uh, this this market, then we have a regular news in August ammonia, the market reports. Uh, there's there's uh, our, our Ruth, our editor, is, is continuously updating. Um, project news and all kinds of other news, policy news. So that's a good way of keeping up to date. Um, and of course, we do cover ammonia um, in our ammonia analytics product, uh, which is a quarterly and uh, deep dive into into the uh, you know, the forecast and outlook for ammonia in general. So there's there's green ammonia coverage in there too. Um, so thanks, Andrea, for this fascinating discussion. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back again in a few months once some of this has become clearer or or less clear, depending on how things go. Um, and uh, if you listened to us today, thanks for for, the, for for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, do do follow us or like like the podcast on the platform you're using so you get alerted to the next episode Um, and until next time stay safe thanks Tim and thanks everyone for listening